as the sun sets on the regular season. The postseason is here. And the Brewers are Central Division champions. This is Brew October Nightly. Brew October on WTMJ is presented by Network Health and sponsored by Delta Dental, Annex Wealth Management, and Windrust, Wisconsin's bank. And now, here's your host for the most on the Brewers postseason. Here's Dominic Catronio. It's here. It's October. Every moment matters. Every decision, every hit, every strikeout. This is it. Playoffs are here, and it feels like old hat for Brewers fans. Hi, everybody. I'm Dominic Catronio. This is going to be... An interesting show because we got some breaking news earlier today. 855-616-1620 if you want to join us again. 855-616-1620 if you want to join us here on the show. That's the Old National Bank talking text line. Old National Bank, get old. Let's just start with the the heartbreaking news once again. Brandon Woodruff is out for the wild card round and unclear of... His postseason status beyond the wild card round, a right shoulder scapular issue, which is similar, not exactly the same, but similar to the strain he suffered that missed four months of the season. Craig Council came in, delivered the news to the media to start off our press conferences today, and it was suddenly, you know, your head just kind of goes, oh my goodness, it's happening again. 1982, Raleigh, Devin in 2021, Ben Sheets in 2008, Yelly 2019. I mean, the injuries that this team goes through before every postseason, man. Uh, and this one was Brandon Woodruff, and, and here I was on post game yesterday. They're like, they're not a sleeping giant; they're a giant because of their big three. And little did we know, the big three was not actually available. Woodruff went on to explain. He felt it in the Marlins game last week. His velo was down by a mile or two an hour, and that may not sound significant to a pitcher that is very significant. But he was thinking, oh, I'm just a little off today. It's no big deal. That happens. I feel fine. I mean, he was touching 96 multiple times after a mound visit from the trainers and from Craig Council, but everything was fine from there. Then the Brewers had him scratched from his start, had him throw a side session, a simulated game just to maybe make sure he doesn't face the Cubs again, but also just controlled environment, no need to push it kind of thing. And that was not injury-related. The Brewers made that clear. That was not because they were fearful he was hurt. It was the next day when he was starting to play catch that he realized something was wrong again. He alerted the trainers immediately. He alerted the team immediately. Went through tests, discovered the strain, everything he went through potentially down the drain now. And again, his status for the rest of the postseason is unclear. The Brewers are non-committal on what he would be. He is seeking a second opinion. They would receive that opinion by the end of the week, they hope. This is where it hurts. I'm going to play the audio. You're going to hear from Brandon Woodruff straight from him how gutted he is. And just how much this dude cares. He's a professional athlete. He understands that, you know, injuries are part of the game. But Woodruff was uh, 
gutted is an understatement for uh, what he was going through and the emotions he was feeling when he found out he was not going to be pitching in the wild card game after all he did to get back to this point. Here is uh, Brandon Woodruff earlier today. Not good. Um, you know, I, I'm... Um, it's more, you know, like you, when you deal with deal with an injury and then it pops back up, it just it popped up at the wrong time. Like, but also maybe it's a blessing because I can, you know, have it taken care of. So, um, it sorry, it it sucks, man. Um, we got it. We got a good clubhouse, and I want to I want to be a part of that. And you know, sitting sitting here now, I, I may not. So that that's the hard that's the hard part. So, um, but you know, we got a we got a we got a good group, and um, I, you know, I think we'll be fine. And and I and I'll be right in the middle of it. It hurts, man. It really hurts. I got it. I chat uh, chatted with Matt Arnold on the field uh, after all this as well, and it's just like the same tone. It's just like, man. You know, it's just this exhale. It's just this defeated tone. Just, I, I feel for the dude. You know, just just from a person standpoint. And guests coming up will repeat this as well. It's just like, Brandon Woodruff is probably one of the most easygoing, easy-to-root-for guys in that clubhouse. Not saying that they're all not that way. But I'm saying Woodruff always has time for you. He always says hello. He knows little things about you. He I've... Got a great relationship going with him since spring training this year when he joined us for a extended conversation here on WTMJ. Woody just loves to compete too, man. This dude, mm, he is a bulldog, and that's not just because he went to Mississippi State. I, I mean, this dude, he's a different guy between the lines, and he was going to get to show off what he was able to do in the postseason once again. Because remember, in that Brave series, I mean, he competed in uh, game two of that series against Atlanta. Uh, but it's still, you know, the Brewers ended up losing in four games. He would have been waiting for the NLCS for his next start. But he dealt with injury last year with the ankle, then the Raynaud's disease. Now this year, the shoulder and actual, you know, arm injuries. And there's fear. And and you look out for the dude and you try to figure out what's going to be his future. I mean, he's less than a, a year away from free agency. This time next year, we'll be talking about him being a free agent. Unless the Brewers extend him, of course. But, you know, I I don't want to go down that path this soon. But it's just like everything came crashing in at once on Woodruff today. And you heard the emotion there. And the Brewers, now you you dust yourself off. You feel pity for a moment. Because, you know, the Diamondbacks certainly aren't feeling pity on the other side. Saying, all right, dust yourself off and get ready to go. Here's what the team's captain, Christian Yelich, had to say. You know, there were stretches where we didn't have Woody um, for an extended part of the season. Uh, obviously, he's a he's a great pitcher. He can take over games on his own, but uh, we still have a very talented team. And it's just at this point, it's about staying together, staying connected, um, and just overcoming adversity. And he was pitching one game for us, and, um, you know, not to understate his value or what he brings to, to our team because it's it's immense, but... Uh, we have a lot of other talented guys in the clubhouse and just about stepping up and seeing what we can do. It, it It's simple as that. I mean, Colin Ray, 
had the third most innings on the team this year. Wade Miley also missed time due to injury this season. Now you got to decide what you're going to do with the roster. So that's the news. I mean, what what a day. I mean, we haven't even talked about Corbin Burns getting the ball in game one and Brandon Fatt being the opponent. We'll talk about all of that. This is a two-hour show, so buckle up. We got plenty to talk about here on WTMJ. If you want to join in, 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. We're going to hear from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel's Kurt Hogue in just a little bit, talking about uh, roster projections and lineups. Brian Anderson was kind enough to spare some time with us here as well on WTMJ. So really looking forward to playing a couple of those interviews. Got a little more audio coming from Mark Canna and Willie Adamas, too. And... uh, Let's actually start talking about some baseball. We know that Brandon Woodruff will not be involved. Now it's time to move on. So that's all to be figured out coming up next. We're just getting rolling on the Hunt for Brew October postseason show. We're going all the way till 8 o'clock tonight right here on your home of the Brewers, WTMJ. Welcome back. I'm Dom Catronio. All right. Let's start talking about some games that matter, shall we? The show is brought to you by Wintrust, proud to be Wisconsin's bank and proud partner of the Milwaukee Brewers. Wintrust, different approach, better results. 855-616-1620 if you want to join us. We're going till 8, 855-616-1620. This text from Peggy out in Waukesha. Just simply put on the Brandon Woodruff News, I just feel so bad for him. Appreciate the text there, Peggy. Thanks for reaching out. So let's... Uh, the next segment is going to be chatting with Kurt Hogue about what's to come for the Brewers and, and talking about roster projections and things of that nature. And we're going to get into that here coming up here in a moment. The Brewers maybe are going to change their pitching plan now. I tweeted this a moment ago and I said, the fact that the Brewers didn't announce a game two starter is significant because it's not, it doesn't mean they don't know who they're going to go with, but it's going to change their outlook for their bullpen. And here's why. Game one, we know, is going to be Corbin Burns. And I'm fired up to see Corbin Burns again in a playoff atmosphere. The reason game two is TBD, because you've got two ultra-reliable, dependable aces. Not three anymore. Freddie Peralta, the other. So I imagine the Brewers, if they win game one, which... Also, by the way, they're facing a rookie who's only made 18 career starts, who's got an ERA over five, gives up a lot of home runs. The Brewers need to win game one. Need to. I'm not, I, I mean, I, this, it's playoffs. I don't want to sound like I'm breaking news here that every game matters in the playoffs. You know that. But I, now the importance on winning game one, it's a three-game series. You get home field no matter what. Because it can set you up for the next series even more so. You know, we, we spent all the last week talking about the fact that because of the off days, you're only going to need the big three of Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta through the NLDS until the NLCS. You don't even need a fourth starter. But now maybe you're going to use Wade Miley or Colin Ray or do you get really creative with stuff like that when it comes to how you're going to use your pen? Because what if you do like the Trevor McGill opener thing, right? What if you win game one and you want to save Wade Miley for the NLDS if you make it that far? 
I think you're getting a little too crazy there. I would start Wade Miley. But something we could see in the NLDS, Colin Ray could be on this postseason roster. Quite frankly, he might have to be now at this point. Where you see Craig Council get creative. Like we saw in 2018. Now, I'm not saying he's going to start Wade Miley and then pull him to set the lineup against the Dodgers. But maybe you'll see an opener, a Trevor McGill, a, you know, a insert arm here, probably McGill since he's done it a couple of times, have him pitch an inning. Colin Ray come in, have him pitch an inning. Wade Miley come in, have him pitch a couple of innings. Right. You're having McGill get three outs. You know, McGill would get the top of the order, the Betts, the Smith, and Freeman. And then you would get Colin Ray for one time through the order until Freeman again, not facing anybody for a second time. Then you finish up however many innings that is. So let's say ideally that would be one inning for McGill, two and a half, two and a third innings for uh, Miley, or uh, for Ray. And then you bring in another two innings for Miley. And then all of a sudden you're into the bullpen if you have the lead. So they can get creative with this. I don't think we're going to suddenly see... I think on the games that is not Burns or Peralta, we're going to see a lot more bullpen use because the Brewers can lean on that and using the off days to their advantage. But as far as the series at hand, I I will stand by this. The Brewers win game one. Wade Miley starts game two. And that would be against Zach Gallen. If the Brewers fall in game two and the Diamondbacks force a game three, then you go to your ace... Freddie Peralta, to use him to beat the Diamondbacks and move on. Then you figure it out against the Dodgers because that series would start on Saturday, which means the next off day would be on Sunday. They actually get an extra off day between Game 1 and Game 2, which means Corbin Burns could start Game 2 in Los Angeles. And then you come back home, you'll probably need Freddie Peralta in Game 3, but that's getting way ahead of ourselves here. We talked to Kurt Hogue about it. I want to bring him on. Pardon the uh, the welcome here, the welcome back here. But Kurt and I started talking about roster construction. He wrote about it today in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I would encourage you to go ahead and check that out. Here is Kurt and I's conversation earlier today out at American Family Field during the workout. Okay, welcome back here. Brewers Hunt for Brew October show on WTMJ. I'm Dominic Catronio. We're live from American Family Field for the workouts right now, chatting with Kurt Hogue of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And we just walked out of a very somber press conference room, Kurt, and I'm just trying to take all the emotions in right now of the news, and you know, I've talked about it already here on the show about Woodruff, but what, what's your instant reaction to Brandon Woodruff not being available for this wild card round and potentially the entire postseason? Well, you look at it first as kind of just a human, and that's tough. That's really tough. A guy that had to miss four months of the year. Uh, with it, with a shoulder injury that he suffered in April, comes back, is pitching as well as he ever has, and then you get to the playoffs and can't help your team out. That's It's got to be pretty brutal. Uh, and the effect on the Brewers is, honestly, it's it's significant. Uh, there's, there's no way around it. It was significant when he went down and you had to pitch without him for four months. The Brewers may do as well as they could, but... Uh, they, they didn't play their best baseball uh, for those first four months of the year a lot of times, that's for sure. So they're going to have to maybe piece together a couple games. I mean, you got to get through this series first. Uh, you thought you had Burns. You thought you had Woodruff. You thought you had Peralta. That's the best one, two, three in baseball in, in a playoff rotation. And now you've only got two of them. So we'll see what they what they do for that scheduled Woodruff start uh, and then going forward as well. It's It ain't going to be easy. When... Craig Council also decided not to announce a game two starter. 
Why do you think that's significant, and what do you think the Brewers are, are planning on doing with that? I think there's a couple options here. I mean, there's a chance that they could just start Freddie Peralta anyway, uh, but I, I think there's a reason why they haven't announced anyone yet and why they aren't announce, announcing anyone yet. Um, the re- one of the reasons they haven't is because you never know if you know if Brandon Woodruff's going to be able to pitch. Uh, it's kind of something always bubbling underneath the surface there when it seems a little little murky why they're not announcing these things. If, if the Brewers win game one, if you think about it, there might be good reason to save Freddie Peralta for game three. The thinking is you're going to have to have him pitch in one of the next two games anyway. What if you win that first game? You win that series, this series, in two games. Then you could throw Freddie Peralta game one in Los Angeles as opposed to probably Adrian Hauser, Colin Ray, who knows, uh, maybe Wade Miley if you go with a bullpen game uh, in, in, in one of these series games. So I think it makes a lot of sense if you can get out ahead on a 1-0 series to save Peralta. Uh, he's still going to pitch game. He's still going to pitch in the series if you absolutely need him to in game three. But you give yourself a big, big boost going into L.A. if you can win the series. Is there reason to believe that you know the pitching depth, as we've heard all season long and know all season long, can't absorb this? I, I I sit here and I wrap my brain around the thought, like, well, yes, they've done it all year, and now it's a much smaller, you know, uh, magnified, you know, with okay, you're missing a start, and with all the off days, we all thought it was going to be perfectly lined up, but there's really no reason to not believe that this staff can absorb it. Now, of course, you're facing better quality opponents more often now in the postseason as you would be during the regular season, but this team's built on its pitching. And no one can replace Brandon Woodruff in a singular man, but maybe with three or four guys and with Craig Council running the ship, in my opinion, there is a route to absorb this because you did it for most of the year anyway. Like Council said today, the, their pitching is still really good. They still have a lot of really good pitchers. I just think the path gets a, a it's a, it just gets harder to get that production elsewhere. You've got to throw a lot of pitchers that aren't as good as Brandon Woodruff more often. But it's a month of baseball at most, and sometimes players have rough months. Who's to say you know when Brandon Woodruff was pitching as well as he ever was, and you figure he's probably going to pitch the lights out of the ball in the playoffs? But you know. Maybe his game two start wouldn't have been great. Um, you only need a month of baseball, like I said, and weird things can happen in a month with player performances. And maybe they get a little creative. Maybe we get it's like 2018 again, and we see some some funky things out of this out of this staff with usage and you know throw, if they throw openers or guys going you know one time through the order or whatever. Um, the longer they go, I think the more creative things that we're going to see. When we look at the Brewers, as we're chatting with Kurt Hogue in our Hunt for Brew October show here on WTMJ, we look at the Brewers, we know the pitching's great, we know the bullpen's great. The offense was a question mark for most of the season. And today you wrote a piece on your roster projection in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And in the thumbnail, there was a notable name on there. And the last name you put on that article was a designated hitter, Jesse Winker. You projected and made a case for Jesse Winker to be on this roster. Now, we don't need to know until 11 a.m. on Tuesday, but why should Jesse Winker be or not be on this playoff roster? Well, a, a, a little bit of a wrench was thrown in that with the Woodruff news. Uh, the, 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 the Winker thing is under the assumption that they're going to carry 11 pitchers, which is kind of what seemed like maybe they were going to go with 11, maybe 12, and then you got that last spot. It's unclear now if they're going to have to maybe add a Colin Ray to the the staff for this series, Andrew Chafin, someone like that, um, just because they won't have you know probably seven, six, seven innings out of Woodruff. But 
if it does come down to Winker or you know one of those other bench bats, Jesse Winker has not had a good year. It has it went poorly. That much needs to be said right off the bat. However, there are certain elements of his profile and things that he did display this year that the Brewers don't have a ton of on their bench right now. A guy that you know left hand hits hits from the left hand side is going to give you a good at bat, great plate discipline, and his on base percentage is probably higher than all the other guys that they would consider for that spot. Abe Toro, notwithstanding, because he had maybe you know 20 plate appearances all year, so. I think there's just a profile there that the other guys maybe don't have as much. Um, and if you're going to carry 15 guys, you only need so many pinch runners. And this team, you mentioned left-handed bat. With Carlos Santana taking the lion's shares of a bats at first base, Rowdy Telez is now one of those left-handed bats off the bench. And you made the case in your article today saying, well, look, Rowdy hasn't been slugging the ball as of late. And asking him to do that off the bench would be a, a new development. And... A thought that came in my mind today is that this is going to be the first postseason that Craig Council manages where he doesn't have to worry about hitting for the pitcher. He doesn't have to use pinch hitters as much. He gets a designated hitter, which may or may not mean we're going to see as many pinch hits as we normally do. But I'm kind of with you, and I've come around on it thinking, well, it's really not a bad thing to have multiple options depending on the spot you're in in the lineup. And you're going to have multiple pitch runners, it sounds like, on this team too. So... The Woodruff injury obviously creates the domino effect, but I guess I've come around to the thought of, okay, you've got two struggling lefty sluggers, but maybe the sum of their parts can give you a moment in the postseason. Yeah, that's always in the Rowdy Tellez profile still is the ability to to go deep. The thing that I think about when I think about this offensive group and and the the lineup is the guys that are going to be in the starting lineup are pretty much the guys that are going to hit. Like, There's not going to be a ton of pinch hit opportunities or times where you go to the bench for these guys. Uh, maybe a, a lefty against Bryce Terang, you go to Monasterio, or uh, maybe go to Joey Weimer if Weimer's on the roster. Uh, Winker or Rowdy uh, could be a, a spot for a, like a right on right uh, where you want to go to the lefty. Maybe if you need a homer in a big spot, you go to Rowdy. But like they're, they're lining up nine, and like you said, without the need for to pinch hit for the, the pitcher spot, the guys that, that start are, for the most part, going to play nine innings unless you need to pinch run for a Carlos Santana or something like that. Uh, so I think the pitching the pitching side of it is going to be need to be managed immensely, especially now without Woodruff for counsel. But uh, it's it's there's not that many like pieces of the puzzle to move around on on the uh, on the offensive side. You can kind of know where everyone's spots are going to be. We're going to chat with Kurt Hogue for a little bit longer here on WTMJ. This is the Hunt for Brew October show with Kurt Hogue. I'm Dominic Catronio. Stay with us. We're going to start talking some lineups coming up next. Welcome back here on WTMJ. Dom and Kurt live from the workout right now as the playoffs begin tomorrow night. 608 first pitch right here on WTMJ. Mr. Baseball, Bob Uecker will be on the call with Jeff Levering. Now, I'm with Kurt Hogue right now of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Kurt, let's talk a little lineups now. I mean, there isn't a lot of drama to figure out here given the Diamondbacks have announced they're going to start Brandon Fatt in Game 1, the rookie, a right-handed pitcher, which would line up Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly for Game 2 and Game 3. All righties, so you don't have to think about, okay, the lefty platoon, things of that nature. Let's just start with the first question. It seems as though that opens the door for Bryce Terang to get the start at second base as a left-handed hitter facing these right-handed stars. And seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that range, this rookie's going to get a chance to show what he's got. 
Yeah, I mean, this, Bryce Terang in the lineup against a righty has been the Brewers' optimal move for pretty much the entire time that he's been in the big leagues this year, uh, in spite of the hitting hitting struggles. He's hitting right around 200. His OBP's under 300, slugging maybe just a little over 300. Like, those are not good numbers. But the Brewers have talked about this. He gives you so much on the defensive side that they feel that that trade-off is more than worth it. So, yeah, Bryce Strang will be in there. You figure all three games, probably hitting ninth. Um, as for some of the other rookies, unsure what their roles are going to be. Joy Weimer's here right now. Don't know if he's going to be on the roster. Garrett Mitchell, probably on the roster. Doesn't sound like he's going to start, which theoretically opens the door for Sal Freelich, right, you'd think? Um, yeah, it's, it's, so, but there's still some question marks there with not only how are these guys going to perform in the big stage, but in what capacity are they going to perform? It then leads to the next part, right? So you mentioned the fact that does that open the door for Sal Freelich? Because that mean does that mean Tyrone Taylor is going to be on the bench? Does that mean Sal gets the start and right? And there's so many other questions that lead Domino. But again, I go back to the basis of well, it's a right-hander on the mound. Sal has had a great start to his career. Tyrone has played in the postseason, and he has had maybe one of the best second halves of any Brewer this year. So if you're Craig Council, who are you putting in right field? Tyrone Taylor or Sal Freelich? Tyrone Taylor. Absolutely. Yeah, I think he's got to be in the lineup, especially in the playoffs, Dom. You know what you need? You need homers. And Tyrone Taylor, I don't know, over the last two months has probably hit as many homers as anyone on this team, maybe besides Carlos Santana, right? Uh, he gives you the slug right against left. Doesn't matter. He's been excellent. Uh, ignore his first, what, first hundred at-bats of the year. He was. Uh, he might have been a little injured still. Um, whatever he was doing, that's far from the Tyrone Taylor that we've seen throughout his career and seen now. Or he can give you that slug, and I think you want to have that in the lineup, and then maybe the uh, the byproduct of that is Morcana is that DH, and I think that makes a lot of sense. It optimizes your run prevention. you got three, well, two really good outfielders, and then Christian Yelich is solid and left, uh, and then you got Can at DH, who's hit really well. Should, should we be surprised at all if we see, you know, I, I, Yelich is going to be leading off, Contreras is going to be batting second. Uh, I would imagine we're going to see Santana continue to bat third, but then the cleanup spot continues to be the interesting part, where you mentioned Tyrone Taylor playing right field. We've seen Willie bat cleanup. We've seen Mark Canna bat cleanup. We've seen uh, Sal Freelich bat cleanup, but he's obviously not in your lineup. Who would you be setting as a cleanup hitter for your lineup for the crew? Mark Canna. That's that's what I'm going to go with, yeah. Carl Santana hitting third, Canna hitting fourth, uh, Willie Adamas fifth. I think that's my middle of the lineup. And that would line up then Josh Donaldson probably batting sixth. Then you got that back to, you know, three consecutive varieties potentially there. Freelick could be in there too. It, it, we know how Craig Council likes to arrange his lineup in that he doesn't like to have the same handed batter back-to-back because we talked about windows, and that would avoid Bryce Terrain from batting ninth in the order because he would be back-to-back with Yelich. But we're getting really lost in the sauce right now, though, too. But I think we've come to an agreement on the personnel where Canna's going to be DHing. The outfield will feature Yelich and left. Uh, and then Freelick, if he's assuming a lineup in center field, and then uh, you'll have Taylor in right. The infield, Santana at first, Tarang at second, Adamas at short, Donaldson at third, and then the last question was always, until the last month of the season, Contreras catching Burns. Now, nobody asked Burns about this today in the press conference, but I think it's a moot point. Contreras is going to be catching Corbin Burns game one. I think that's why Contreras has caught him two of, I believe, the last three times to end the season, yeah. 
it looked like for a while there that they might be going with uh, Caratini at catcher and Contreras at DH and like, oh, well, maybe they won't lose a whole lot by this. But now with the way Canna's swinging the bat, you got to get his bat in the lineup. Uh, with the way Tyrone Taylor's swinging the bat, you want to get his bat in the lineup. And I think it kind of comes down to that. Like, you want to get all these guys who are pretty good defenders, too. You want to you want them in the lineup. Uh, and that comes at the expense of Vic Caratini, who's been a really good backup catcher. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, he's not the impact player on the on the offensive side that a Tyrone Taylor is. So we've, we've broke it all down. We've talked pitching. We've talked lineup. Now I'm putting you on the spot. Let's go ahead and talk about it. Even without Brandon Woodruff, how do you see this three-game series go? I'm not asking the rest of the postseason. This three-game series go, what would you be picking for the Brewers and the Diamondbacks? I had a sweep uh, for the Brewers up until today. I'm going to stick with the Brewers, but in three. They're going to need a, they're gonna need some good starts from Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns for sure. It's going to get dicey in game three going against Merrill Kelly. I uh, kind of thought going into this, like, if you want to get these guys, you got to get them in game one. And then you don't want it to get to Merrill Kelly in Game Three. Uh, we'll see. We we will see what happens now. But I'm still I'm still go with Brewers in three. Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly are certainly two weapons to use in the back end of the rotation uh, in this uh, three-game series for the Diamondbacks. That's Kurt Hogue here on our Hunt for Brew October show. Kurt, appreciate your time. I know you got a lot of writing to do, and uh, looking forward to your coverage all postseason long. Thank you, sir. Kurt Hogue here. Uh, much appreciated once again to him. So let's. Let's talk a little lineup. I'm going to lead this into the next segment, too, of about like a Know Your Foe segment coming up next. But I just kind of want to go back here. And I mentioned this on the postgame show Sunday. How different both of these teams are since the last time they met. Okay, so the Brewers and Diamondbacks last met in June. So before the All-Star break, before the trade deadline, that's the obvious case. But let me just read you. The Brewers' starting lineup, this game was Corbin Burns against Merrill Kelly back on June 19th. The Brewers' starting lineup had Yelly leading off, which he has been really all season long. Jesse Winker batted second and was DHing. Willie was batting third. Rowdy Telez batting cleanup and playing first. Owen Miller was batting fifth and playing second. Rymel Tapia was in right field, batting sixth. Brian Anderson, the third baseman, the broadcaster. Not the broadcaster, I should say. The broadcaster will join us. Brian Anderson, the player, played third base and batted seventh. Victor Caratini batted eighth. And Joey Weimer batted ninth in center. So as I as I read that to you, okay, the leadoff hitter is still going to be in the lineup. The two-hitter won't. The three-hitter will. The four-hitter won't. So that's two players. The five-hitter won't. The six hitter won't, the seven hitter won't, the eight hitter won't, and the nine hitter won't. Seven of the nine guys in the starting lineup when they last faced Merrill Kelly, who is currently lined up to pitch game three, weren't will not play in this postseason, or at least get a start in this postseason unless there's another circumstance that happens. So that was against Merrill Kelly. Well, how about the next day when the Brewers got back on track? They scored seven runs against Ryan Nelson, who's not pitching out of starting rotation here for the Diamondbacks. But William Contreras was in this lineup. He had the day off in Game 1 against the Diamondbacks. But you still had Jesse Winker. You had Luis Urias. You had Brian Anderson. You had Rowdy at first. Blake Perkins got a start in right field as well. And then finally for Game 3 when the Brewers only mustered up one run against the Diamondbacks. And uh, that was 
falling at the hands of Zach Gallen. He's made two starts against the Brewers this year. One was strikeout dominant. The other one was the Brewers uh, getting themselves out with a lot of ground balls and balls in play. That one was a much closer lineup than what we're used to seeing. But again, Weimer was in that lineup. Urias in that lineup. Tapia, Anderson, Miller. They're not even going to be on the roster. And then you've got Telez, who will be on the roster, but he's not going to be starting in the postseason. It's just completely different. Absolutely, completely different. Canna, Santana, Donaldson. There's some pop there. There's some slug there. And in fact, when you talk about cultures and you talk about what wins in the postseason and how teams tend to uh, rely on the home run ball a little too much, maybe someone would say, well, that's not true because it matters in the postseason to hit the home run ball. I'm pulling up the, uh, the stat right now of what the last two seasons... Teams in the postseason have done when out-homering their opponents. This is courtesy Sarah Langs. Last year, teams that out-homered their opponent in the postseason were 22-6. and six. And in the last two seasons, they're 47-8. and eight. So do the math in your head. 25-2 and two back in 2021. 25-2 out-homering your opponent two years ago. 22-6 and six last year. Now, this year it's a little different, obviously, with the shifts gone, the pitch timer. It's, it's a new era of baseball. But you still need to slug. And there's still some exterior stuff that I'm going to get into later on in the show that some folks are going to be worried about. We know this team is built on pitching, but some of the hard hit numbers are down. The team slugging is down. WRC plus, if you're into that sort of thing. I, I, I see a team with their three run innings and their big innings. You don't really get big innings like that in the postseason. The bleeding is stopped a whole lot faster. And bullpens are much more aggressive, and you're a little bit quicker to the trigger if you want to go to pull somebody in if the starter's not being effective. I was watching the 2011 series, the the Diamondbacks and the Brewers, and I was just sitting here shocked at how long Giovanni Gallardo was going and how long... Uh, the, the Diamondbacks are using their pitchers, and if I say the name Ryan Roberts, I'm, I'm sure some of you Brewers fans still shudder when I say the name Ryan Roberts, given how great of a series he had of that one, and Chris Young, how great of a series he had in 2011. Now he's an analyst on MLB Network, but I, I still think the Brewers' bullpen is going to be the key to this because with... Woodruff's news today, you you think, okay, well, maybe you just had Burns go longer. Well, you don't know that for sure. If there's a moment of ineffectiveness and he gives up homers, and homers matter in the postseason, I just gave you the numbers. I think the most important thing, and this is not breaking news, I'm not, you know, shocking the world with this take. It really feels like if the Brewers get out to a lead in game one, They've got it. That that That's their formula. Granted, the Diamondbacks' bullpen has not been very good in the second half, and I've got numbers to support that coming up in the second hour of the program in our Know Your Foe segment, but I, I still see a team that needs to prove it on the offensive side of the ball. Now, this lineup is much better than the lineups I read back when the Brewers faced the Diamondbacks in June, unquestionably. Will the home runs matter? Are they going to be able to sustain rallies? Are they going to be able to do the big innings that they've been doing? They've been having so many big innings without a homer, right? At one point in August, they were leading 
in the second half for most three-plus run innings without a home run. Think about that for a second. Scoring consistently without a singular hit, per se, without a three-run homer. Now, here's the other funny thing, too. The Brewers, while they're in the bottom 10 in total homers hit as a team, they're in the top four for three-run homers hit as a team. Three-run homers are game-changers. Now, they only hit three grand slams this year, but most teams would certainly take that. It's because they're getting on base and they sustain the rallies, and the home runs are by accident, as some hitting coaches would say. If you're out in front and you're on time, you got a good approach, you hit a home run. Three-run homers in the playoffs are game-breakers. Absolute game-breakers. And now, I look at this lineup as opposed to June's lineup. Okay, so you got Yelly can pop one off. Contreras can pop one off. Santana can pop one off. He's been popping them off. Tyrone Taylor can pop one off. Josh Donaldson can pop one off. You get what I'm... Willie Adamas can pop one. You get what I'm saying here? There's a lot more depth, not just of getting on base, but just with the quality of contact that they can produce. And they're going to need to produce heading into the postseason. And we're uh, less than 24 hours away now from first pitch at 6.08 tomorrow. Bob Euchre, Jeff Levering on the call here on WTMJ. I'll be with you after the game as well. We still got another hour and a quarter here on the Hunt for Brew October show. So we're going to talk a little bit about 2011, talk a little bit about the Diamondbacks year as a whole, and I'm going to give you some numbers here on the Brewers season as a whole as well. 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talking text line, old National Bank get old. Just going along here, going to 8 o'clock here on WTMJ. Welcome back. I'm Dom Catronio. We're going to take a breather at the top of the hour for the news, and then going to come all the way back until 8 o'clock for Hunt for Brew October. Playoffs start tomorrow. Get your tickets, man. Let's pack the place. Let's have some fun. Because there's a chance, if the Brewers move on, of course, that the next time you see the Brewers, they could be on the brink of elimination. You don't know that. If they go to L.A. and they go 0-2 down there. So you don't know that. Or maybe they still want in L.A. and they have a chance to clinch at home. Buy your tickets now. Brewers.com slash postseason. Brewers.com slash postseason. I just want to take a peek back at 2011. And, of course, a lot of memories about that series with it being the same opponent, of course. 12 years is a long time. Uh, I I silly asked Willie Adamas a question today saying, like, Hey, man, I know you're close to Carlos Gomez. He scored, of course, the winning run in Game 5. Did that ever come up? That Have you guys talked about that? I don't know if you were watching it. He's like, well, I was like 12 years old when that came, when that happened, so we all had a chuckle about that. But that's one of the most iconic moments in Brewers postseason history, undoubtedly. One of. And uh, Brian Anderson talks about this coming up a little bit later. I've got this interview taped for the second hour of the program talking about Cooper in, in 1982 and, and you know Niger Morgan, T-plush, with the base hit up the middle, is kind of in that same realm. By the way... Fun note, Bob Euchre will be throwing the first pitch tomorrow. Now, I hope I'm not spoiling anything here because I remember two years ago when they honored him in person for his 50th year with the organization. They couldn't do that, of course, with the COVID year in 2020. He used the pitching machine. I wonder if he's going to do the same thing tomorrow. But he's got the first pitch tomorrow. And then Niger Morgan will have the first pitch on Tuesday. And I really recommend doing this. And I'm starting... I'm in the very early stages of a big project I'm working on this offseason where I'm trying to watch as many World Series games as I can, and YouTube's just a beautiful resource for it. 
But one of the things, I mean, you can find full games on YouTube pretty easily these days. And I sped through 2011 Game 5. Man, the the topsy-turvy game that that was. Uh, Giovanni Gallardo, I I know T-Plush had the hit, and he deserves a lot of the credit. But man, Giovanni Gallardo just pitched his tail off in that Game 5 when they won in extra innings. Let me read you Giovanni's line in case you forgot. Six innings, six hits, one run, two walks, five strikeouts, the one run on a solo home run off the bat of Justin Upton. And this was a decent Diamondbacks team. I mean, they won the West this year. Willie Bloomquist leading off, and it's funny looking at some of the names that were in these games. You know, a lot of them are coaching or managing these days. So Willie Bloomquist is now the head coach at Arizona State, his alma mater. You've got, of course, Craig Council was off the bench in this game for the Brewers. We know who he is now. Mark Kotze was on this team for the Brewers in 2011. He's now the manager of the Oakland A's. I, I see just so many guys that that mid-2000s, late 2000s. I mean, John Axford, of course. There were some great tweets, and I, I wanted to share a few of them here on my social media. Of I just asked simply, hey, tell me about what it was like if you were there 2011 Send me your your photos. Send me your memories and things of that nature. And one of my favorites was actually from J.R. Radcliffe of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Uh, he was at he was covering a Wisconsin high school football game. And this is 2011. This is very infancy Twitter days. And he found an old tweet from him on October 7th, 2011, saying, "If my fingers would stop shaking, I could tweak." Tweet updates from Arrowhead and Waukesha West because he was so fired up about the Brewers finally uh, winning a series in 2011 and, and moving on. Uh, Joe Rogers shared, of course, the great Milwaukee General Sentinel full spread of Royal Plush as he's getting bombarded with champagne by Prince Fielder. Uh, Austin tweeted this in. I was there in Game 5. I was still pretty young, so I remember looking through the shoulders to see the hits. Never heard a crowd roar so loud in my life once he hit it. Besides, of course, the Bucks NBA Finals. Uh, one f- uh, friend uh, here, Jim, shared the shirt, the John Axford shirt, the you Axford it. So, man, what a year. And he's got the axe. What a, year, what a few years it was for him. Uh, another tweet. Game one, I got a standing room only ticket with two of my best friends. One had passed, so it has been a very memorable series for us. Appreciate you sharing that memory. And uh, it's beauty of sports, bringing us all together. And it's another reminder, go get your tickets, man. Brewers.com slash postseason. I'll read a few more of here. And this is on my social media, at Dom underscore Catronio. I sat up in section 434 for game two, where the Brewers had an insane rally of singles and a hilarious misplayed bunt. That was the first Brewers playoff game I ever attended. Appreciate that one as well. One f- shared the old tickets. You know, I I, I do want to be real. The MLB ballpark app's great. It's an amazing piece of technology. I, I miss physical tickets. I, I, I've still got a few commemorative tickets back home of uh, playoff games that I've been to over the years. I, I miss the physical ticket. I really do. And the screenshot's just not the same. You know it's not the same. I want tickets. There, there could be a market for this. If anybody in Brewers, uh, you know, team stores is like, hey, let's make some tickets. Let's let's have some fun with this. And maybe that's more of a World Series thing. Uh, Drew Taylor saying simply, Niger Morgan better be there for game one. He's going to be there for game two. Don't worry. And this one made me chuckle too. Uh, 
I remember that stupid snake bite celebration the Diamondbacks had where they went, you know, the went the Cobra. I was living in Arizona at the time. I, I didn't really have a dog in the fight at the time. I was 17 years old. I mean, I was just watching from afar. I, I knew who Paul Goldschmidt was, and he had a heck of a series as he was introducing himself to the national stage. Looking at a few numbers, I mean, remember the Brewers jumped out to the 2-0 series lead. Uh, then the Diamondbacks won both of the games in Arizona to force a decisive Game 5. And then we got the memory of Niger Morgan. But looking at the numbers from this series, Paul Goldschmidt, man, what a series for young Goldie. He went 7-16 for 16 with two homers. He only walked, or he walked twice, struck out only five times. A 438 batting average. Chris Young, what a series. Seven for 18. That's a 389 batting average with three bombs, including two of them in game four of that series. Don't worry, he's not suiting up, and he is not going to be playing in this series. And then I had one last thought as I was watching this game. And remember, I grew up as an American League guy. And when the, the Universal DH came last year, and everybody was sad to lose that that part of the uh, National League, and just watching the 2011 World uh, uh, NLDS, and I'm and watching double switches, watching pitchers bat, and getting strikeouts, and seeing why the games are so low scoring, and I just remember, I'm like, wait a minute, this is Craig Council's first opportunity to manage like an American League manager. And doesn't have to worry about the pitcher spot coming up. Doesn't have to use bunts. Doesn't have to double switch. Doesn't have because these box scores get messy in the postseason in the National League. I'm excited to see what Craig Council can do kind of with the reins off, per se, where he can go nuts. You can use pinch hitters, and this is the beauty. So you get a 26-man roster. You still capped at 13 pitchers, and Kurt and I talked about it, obviously. Do you do you go up to 12 pitchers now or maybe 11 pitchers? Uh, the original roster had 11 pitchers. Maybe you would figure, assuming Woodruff's health, but obviously that's not a thing anymore. Maybe you go with 12 pitchers and 14 position players, and you eliminate maybe a Jesse Winker for another position player runner. I think Garrett Mitchell is going to be on this roster because of his speed. Blake Perkins should be on this roster because of his speed too. Uh, and then you obviously have to make room for Caratini, probably going to make room for Rowdy Telez and Andre Monasterio. So there's your, there's your bench right there. And that would leave Jesse Winker off of the roster. But just think about that as you get ready for the postseason correct council first time, because obviously the Brewers didn't make the playoffs last season that he doesn't, have to worry about double switches and pitchers batting and getting around that portion, that nine spot in the order. One last thing from 2011. I still hate the Cardinals from, from 2011 for other reasons, not just from your reasons, of course, from the NLCS that year. <sighs> yeah. Well, at least they're out of it. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick breather. We're going to have a whole another hour of Brewers talk coming up. The news is going to come here, though, at the top of the hour. We're going to reset, reload, get ready to go. Your text, your calls, 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. So the news coming up after the break. Then we got more Brewers coverage after this on WTMJ. As the sun sets on the regular season, the postseason is here. And the Brewers are Central Division champions. This is Brew October Nightly. Brew October on WTMJ is presented by Network Health and sponsored by Delta Dental, Annex Wealth Management, and Wintrust, Wisconsin's bank. And now, here's your host for the most on the Brewers postseason. 
Here's Dominic Catronio. Let's reset our number two of Hunt for Brew October on WTMJ. Your home for the Brewers all postseason long. Every single game right here on WTMJ. You'll hear Bob Uecker. You'll hear Jeff Levering. We'll have plenty of fun to listen to this season. In case you missed it earlier, repeat the big news of today. Brandon Woodruff is not available for the wildcard round, and his status is in doubt for the rest of the postseason. He has a shoulder injury once again, similar to the injury that held him out of the lineup for four straight months. Tough news to deal with. We played the audio earlier, and you're just gutted for the guy. But now the Brewers are back to this next-man-up mentality, so let's start previewing the actual series itself. Brian Anderson is going to join us during this hour, an interview we taped earlier today out at the workout. We're going to talk about the starters and what this first pitching matchup looks like. And again, to reiterate the news, we do not know the starter for the Brewers for Game 2. Craig Council kept that close to the vest. I think it all really depends on the result and the bullpen use in Game 1. And I'll reiterate, I think that if the Brewers win, they go to Wade Miley in Game 2 and save Freddie Peralta in that, let's say they win Game 2 and they don't need to use Freddie and they save him for Game 1 of the series against the Dodgers. Because then, because of the off days, you can go Freddie in Game 1 against LA and then Corbin in Game 2 because you get an extra off day between Game 1 and Game 2 and that gives you your best chance to come back to Milwaukee and figure it out from there. And then you would have Freddie going in Game 5 of that series against the Dodgers. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. What about the game at hand? What do you know about Brandon Fat? shall we? Well, it's a silly name, I know, but Brandon Fat spelled P-F-A-A-D-T. Brandon Fat, only 24 years old. He's a rookie. He, 3-9 record, 5.72 ERA. It'll be uh, only his 19th career start in the big leagues. And there was speculation about, well, do they start Zach Gallen on short rest and Merrill Kelly on short rest? But then... The theory became clear, as Jeff Cirillo explained this on the post game the other day. Look, if you know you're going to have Zach Gallen pitch in this series, no matter what, whether he's on short rest or on regular rest, if he's going to pitch game two, just let him pitch game two. Roll the dice, hope for the best. Because in that scenario, you have it flipped, right? If you survive game one, if you win game one, if you're the Diamondbacks' perspective. You've got the exact guy you want for game two to close it out. And then if you don't close it out there, you've got your next best option with Merrill Kelly. That's why I think it is so imperative for the Brewers to try to win this series in two and get after it with Brandon Fat uh, coming up tomorrow. But the numbers on Fat, the big key for him is the home run ball. He'll strike out, guys. He's got 94 Ks and 96 innings. But he gives up a lot of contact and a lot of homers. Opponents this season hit 282 off of him, a 316 BABIP. 22 home runs. As we just talked about earlier in the show, home runs can really make a difference in the postseason of what you're trying to do. Fat hasn't really gone super long in his starts this season either. Uh, His last start only went into the fifth inning. His last two starts, rather, have only gone into the fifth inning. The last time he got an out in the sixth was September 15th. He went five and a third in a win against the Cubs, which was a massive series for the Diamondbacks at the time. He's coming off of one of his better outings, though, albeit, with all due respect, against the Chicago White Sox. He went five and two-thirds, no runs allowed, no walks, and eight strikeouts. In fact, he hasn't walked a batter 
in his last two starts, but he also uh, gave up six runs against the Yankees two starts ago, thanks to two home runs. Two of them were by Aaron Judge. What does uh, Fat bring to the table? He's got he's joined the uh, sweeper craze. That is his best secondary pitch. The sweeper opponents only hitting 180 off of it, a 34 percent whiff rate. But his changeup and his fastball leave something to be desired. Opponents hitting over 300 against his fastball. That's where the majority of the home runs homers have come off of. He doesn't throw overly hard. He has a good spin rate on it, but he sits about 93, 94 miles an hour, and the changeup. He pretty much exclusively throws it to lefties, very rarely right-on-right changeup. But the way that is going to be key for him to try to get the Brewers left-handed hitters out, the guys like Yelich, the guys like Freelich, the guys like Santana and Switch Hitter who will be batting left-handed, uh, he's going to have to figure out against those guys how to get them out because teams are hitting 409 against his changeup this season. 409. That's a massive number, something to look out for, and it's kind of something you you circle in a scouting report. However, he has lowered the usage of that pitch month by month. Lately, he's really found the uh, sinker. He's become a sinker slider type guy, throwing a lot more uh, of the two-seamer than usual. But again, this is a bad matchup for Brandon Fatt because he does throw strikes. And it's not like he's a guy that has a walk problem. He, he He'll walk a normal-ish amount but the home runs, and the Brewers can ambush and can attack and can control the zone against a young rookie like Fat making a Brewers debut, or a postseason debut. 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. get to a few texts that popped up here on the show. If you're joining us live on the radio, uh, if you're hanging out on the podcast, remember, you can join in. We got you post-game every single night after the Brewers games this postseason right here on WTMJ. You can call in, you can text in, you can hang out with us here talking with fellow Brewer fans after the win. And then also, we will be on YouTube as well, streaming us all the way through. Uh, here's a couple of texts. This one from the 414. There's no situation in which Jesse Winker smells the playoffs. I disagree. Now, I would still be surprised if he gets in that bat, but I think, there, as Kurt Hogue laid out earlier in the show, there is a scenario where he's just your emergency bat because you can carry an extra bat. But now... The Brandon Woodruff news probably impacts that. I mean, walking around the, the the workout earlier today, you have a bigger squad this time of year of guys that are around the team in case of an injury that are in baseball activities. Owen Miller was here. Joey Weimer was here. Abraham Toro was here. Jesse Winker was here. You get my point. Uh, but yeah, I, I also agree, though. I don't think Jesse Winker is going to be around. Uh, this text from the 9-2, oh, my son picked up a Brewer gnome uh, during one of the Brewer Park hunts earlier in the year. We attended every home playoff game that year and took home Nomeo to each game and rubbed his head often for good luck. Hey, I can re- I can relate to the rubbing the head for good luck, but that's appreciate that text from back in 2011. This text from Josh here in Milwaukee. You can guess how I felt when I got the push notification about Woodruff. That is absolutely heartbreaking. I got interested in our ground ball into double play statistics during the last week of the season and was somewhat surprised that the team and Contreras were near the top of the major league ranks. How much is this concern you given a level of pitching and bullpen use in the postseason? It's an Achilles heel for the Brewers. They hit a lot of ground balls. They put the ball in play. That's the price of putting the ball in play. And it's a double-edged sword because the team that leads in double plays is the Miami Marlins. And you think about it, well, why are they grinding in so many plays? Oh, it's because Luis Arise is always on base. And why does William Contreras hit and do a lot of double plays? It's because Christian Yelich has been on base a lot for him ahead in the batting order. 
Now, nobody wants to hit in double plays. I'm not trying to say that it's okay, but it's just one of their things. That's one of their flaws of their roster this year. They hit into a lot of double plays. I wouldn't call it an over-concern. Corbin Burns gets the ball for the Brewers tomorrow. And as we talked about Brandon Fat, Corbin Burns, I, I had some numbers here on his new slider. And he mentioned that a few times today, but how excited he is to use that new slider and how well it has gone uh, against righties as of late. Since July 7th, okay, I'm going to compare these two numbers. Before July 7th and after July 7th. His slider, before the change, the average horizontal movement was 7 inches. Reminder, home plate is 19 inches wide. 7 inches of horizontal movement, so a little less than half the plate. Now, and, and by the way, 7 inches of horizontal movement, Opponents at 195. He only had 15 strikeouts on the pitch. He didn't use it a lot. He had eight hits on the pitch allowed. A 35% whiff, which isn't bad. That's not a bad number. But for Corbin Burns, the perfectionist that he is, he wants to see it be bigger. So he made an adjustment. He wanted it to be wider than his cutter. Harder to decipher between the cutter and the slider, especially for right-handed hitters, given teams have been loading up a lot of righties against Burns lately. So now, as opposed to a 7-inch movement across... It's now a 17. It's That's an entire plate. Looks like a cutter, then it breaks off the plate because you know you have he has this cutter that he has to attack, that you have to figure out how to hit. So now it's 17 inches of horizontal movement. Opponents are only hitting 111 off of it. He's only allowed three hits. He's already got 12 strikeouts on the pitch, and he generates a swing and miss on it more than half the time that a team swings at it, 52% of the time on that slider. That is going to be the major key to look at tomorrow. Now, the Diamondbacks do have some talented players that are left-handed in their order. You know, I think of Cattell Marte. He's a switch hitter. Corbin Carroll, their stud, their rookie of the year. He's a left-handed hitter. Then you've got Geraldo Perdomo, who's a switch hitter, who's quietly had a solid season. He's not a slugger, but he can he can run. He can play well. And then what would the kids do? The Alec Thomases and the Jake McCarthys, their defense-first outfielders, who are also young rookies in this order. And old friend Jace Peterson will be in town as well. On base, Jace will be here for the Arizona Diamondbacks. The key for me with Brandon Woodruff, or sorry, with Corbin Burns, is giving length in response to the Brandon Woodruff injury. Can he give you six innings, seven innings in a postseason scenario, or into the seventh inning? I'm sure Craig Council will let him do so. I'm sure... That's going to be a plan and a goal, given the Brewers now have question marks about what they're going to do with their pitching moving forward. That's my thought with Corbin Burns tomorrow. When he has command, when he's on his game, he doesn't need to strike out the world. He can break some bats with his cutter. He doesn't need to have 12 strikeouts. That being said, he's going to have to deal with the run game, too, from the Diamondbacks. They run like crazy. Corbin Carroll, 54 stolen bases this season. As a team, they had 166 stolen bases, and they've been rarely caught, but nobody's been really caught. They only got caught 26 times this year. And Corbin, from time to time, he really slows down with runners on base. In fact, the Diamondbacks have the second most stolen bases in all of baseball this year, 166, while simultaneously only having 26 caught stealings. That's pretty darn impressive in choosing the right spots. Want to get to the phone lines here before we take a, a first break of this hour. 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. Want to get to the phones. George in Pewaukee, you are live here on Hunt for Brew October. 
Hey, thanks for taking my call tonight. You got it. It's good. It's good just to have the discussion because that means the Brewers are in the playoffs. So that's the first thing. <laughs> Amen um, to that. My concern has been, and it's been for the last two or three years, especially this year, and nobody nobody's talking about it. Nobody on TV. Nobody on the radio. And granted, it really hurts to have Woodruff out. Um, but even with him in, my main concern was the offense. It's it's the worst offense in the playoffs. They were the third worst offense in scoring runs until the 16-run game. And it just seems like we've got so many guys that hit 220 or lower, and some of them at the top of the lineup, like really Adamas the last two years has averaged 220. He strikes out 30% of the time. And I, I really wonder if the Brewers organization realizes they, they need another 300 hitter to add to Contreras, or I, I don't think they can afford to buy one because of Yelich's contract, but those were just my thoughts. I have more concerns about the offense carrying them and carrying them to the World Series um, mm-hmm. more than anything. I think it's a and fair concern. Yeah, I think it's a fair concern. But, George, let me keep you here for a second. How many 300 hitters do you think are in, like, how many guys do you think finished with a 300 batting average this season in Major League Baseball? I don't know about this season, but I looked at it last season. Every division winner last season, um, all all the teams had at least two guys hitting 300. And I know uh, hitting has been definitely more difficult, but I'm not even talking 300. We've got Contreras at 280-something, Yelich. Mm-hmm. 270, but after those two guys get on base, you've got Willie Adamas for the last year and a half batting third, um, and he was hitting 210 until they finally put him to the back of the lineup. Mm-hmm. I understand. Um, last year, he last year he batted second or third the whole season and hit 230. Mm-hmm. Uh, Telez uh, last year batted 560 at bats. He was a full time hitter. He hit 219. I don't care how many home runs he hits. Well, if you're hitting home runs, you can live with a 219 batting average, George. If you're hitting 35 homers, you can live with 219. I agree, and and I'm even satisfied with Adamas. If he can hit 220 or 230, he's one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball, Mm -hmm. but not batting second or third. Yeah, I I understand, and he won't be batting second or third. I I do appreciate it, though, George. But the answer to the trivia there, though, there's only nine... 300 hitters in all of baseball this year. That's the fewest since the year of the pitcher, 1968. So, you know, 280-290 is an amazing year these days. You know, we, we it's a new standard. On-base percentage is how this team is built. And the way I look at it, uh, this team was using Jesse Winker, Brian Anderson, Rymel Tapia, uh, rookies of Weimer and Terrain literally being thrown to the wolves, like, figure it out. And that's what happened in Maine when things went wrong. The team's completely different now, right? And, and I look at the team, the numbers since the all star uh, since the trade deadline. They're top ten in on base percentage. They're top twelve in batting average as a team. T- league average is not even two fifty for league batting average. So I know there are a few batters Brewers that are under league average. Obviously, there's only two guys that are above it, but they're not as far off as as you may think. And then furthermore, as I just if I just want to look. Since the uh, trade deadline and what a few Brewers have done and what these guys are doing, because obviously you're they're an- uh, anchored down 
by their stats from the beginning of the year with the guys that I just mentioned they had to use. I mean, William Contreras in the second half, or since the trade deadline, he hit 308. Victor Caratini in limited playing time, to be fair. He hit 288. Mark Canna hit 287. Tyrone Taylor hit 283. Carlos Santana hit 253 while hitting 10 home runs to lead the team. Christian Yelich was dealing with his back and he only hit 248, and now he's clearly healthy. Sal Freelich had a 326 on base and a 242 on uh, batting average. So it all works out. I, I, this is a completely different team. I, I, I also want to say, George, you're absolutely right. That's a concern. That's the number one concern. The offense. How much are they going to arrive? Fun discussion. Hang out. Come on in. We still got more to talk about. Bank your calls. Get some texts in here. We're going until 8 o'clock. Up next, though, we're going to chat with Brian Anderson here on WTMJ, the Brewers television voice. Stay with us. This is the Hunt for Brew October show on WTMJ. Rolls on here on WTMJ. I'm Dominic Catronio. Brian Anderson, the television voice of the Milwaukee Brewers on Valley Sports Wisconsin and also on MLB on TBS throughout the postseason. TBS has the National League this year, but you won't hear them until the NLDS. ESPN will have the wild card round. BA, I mean, I, I think this is the first time I've actually interviewed you, given we've played a lot of golf together, we work together, and uh, appreciate you hanging out with us here on WTMJ. Do you feel weird? Are you nervous? No, I Am mean... Am I nervous? Should I be nervous? I think you should be nervous. I, without you, like, handing me nuggets and stats, I'm pretty much an empty vessel, so you should be interviewing yourself. Well, I mean, I'm the one in the suit. You're the one hanging out in the polo right now. I was, you know, like, I, I've had a few comments about the suit today, but honestly, like, to quote Jeff Passan, because I'm a tryhard, and there's no other way to do it. This is the big leagues. It's a little bit of false hustle, but, you know, yeah. you look damn good, and that's really all that matters at the end of the day. You know what? I'm working on my birthday, so screw it. Uh, we're with Brian Henderson. Let's start with, real quick, Don't we've been getting plenty of reaction through this throughout the entire show. The Brandon Woodruff news, heartbreaking. He was choking up in the press conference. I've already played the audio here on WTMJ, and it's just like, again. Like I mean, as a Brewer fan, it's just like, really? Again? A major injury right before you feel like you're ready to go for the postseason. Yeah, there's a lot of ways you could go with that. I think from Brandon's perspective, you really feel bad for him. And, you know, he was on the shelf four months, and he did all that isolated rehab work, that the abyss that is that is rehab, and he made it through it. And then he was great, and he looked like he was healthy again and looked like he was kind of in mid-season, mid-season form. So you do you feel for him. It's a tough thing for him to have to endure personally as a competitor, as an individual. And then on the flip side, the fans' perspective of it, I think if you're a Brewers fan long enough, you, you're remembering all this trauma from all these injuries going back to 1982 when Raleigh Fingers wasn't available for the postseason and um, Devin Williams not being available for the postseason in 21. Christian Yelich fracturing his kneecap. In 2019, so there are all these moments. 2008 was a great example where the Brewers were just happy to get in, but they never could get Sheets, Gallardo, and CC Sabathia on the field together at the same time, and so they were dumped in the first round. I will say, from the team perspective, outside of Woodruff, outside the fans' trauma, um, I think they feel like they can cover anything right now. They feel like they have enough talent in their clubhouse. Their starting pitching is more than just the big three, even though the big three are the big three for a reason. And they grab the headlines, but guys like Wade Miley and guys like Adrian Hauser, they've been fantastic. Then you have Colin Ray, who's been incredible. So they're not the quality of Brandon Woodruff, but they're also, you're not dropping too many pegs down. And I think 
it does now give them a chance to roll Burns out for game one, decide what maybe they want to do for game two based on what happens in game one, and then you roll from there. I, I do feel like Wade Miley is a little bit of a secret weapon right now, the way he's pitching. And so from a team perspective, baseball players have short memories, and it's time to move on. Onward we go with who we have. Feel bad for Brandon. Fans, obviously, rightly can feel some trauma about that. Players are ready to roll, though. The Brewers getting ready for the Diamondbacks and always going to bring up memories of 2011. Anytime we see them in the regular season, you bring up memories of 2011. And speaking of Giovanni Gallardo taking the ball twice, game one and game five, and you know, rewatching that series the last couple of days preparing for this, I, I mean, as somebody who wasn't a Wisconsin resident at the time, take me there. I mean, I know you were working the other series at the time, but you were around this club that whole season, obviously. T-Plush will be here for game two. And uh, it, those were two division-winning teams that matched up extraordinarily similarly, and it came all the way down to extra innings in Game 5. Yeah, it was a great series, and uh, Victor Rojas called that series for us, for TBS. I actually did Yankees-Tigers that year. Um, but it was, you know, as a young Paul Goldschmidt in his rookie year, and, um, you know, Sean Markham and Randy Wolf really struggled in Arizona, and uh, but the Brewers did have Zach Greinke, and... Gallardo, and so they that was a, one of those all-time classic series. I hated that I wasn't on the call for that series, but other than the Cecil Cooper moment against the Angels uh, in 82, Nigel Morgan's moment with Carlos Gomez is probably number two, or you know, like that's in, in the group of greatest moments ever in Milwaukee, and certainly in Brewers franchise history, and uh, it's great that Nigel's coming back, and you can... Uh, you can never have enough of Tony Tombstone. So he's coming back and, and delivered one of the all-time great moments and hits. And Bob Euchre's call was of legends. You know, it's right up there with his 3,000 for Robin and some of the legendary calls he's had. But that series was really good. Uh, it's hard to believe that was 12 years ago. And so many faces and names and franchises and paths have changed. Um, it's going to be a good series, though, and I think the Diamondbacks... Um, they're, all these teams that have made it are all worthy opponents, and any of these teams can get hot like we saw with the Phillies last year who grabbed the last spot in the, in the wild card. Um, they went all the way to the World Series. I think trying to be healthy getting in, whether Zach Gallen, we'll see what he's like in this series. We'll see what Merrill Kelly is like. We'll see you know, they have not been playing great defense here lately, even though they're a very good defensive team. But you never know. The flip switches in the postseason, and... A three-game series is as wild as it gets. So it's aptly named the Wild Card Series, and who knows where this thing could go. But I do think the Brewers feel very confident and maybe feeling like those who are around, and Council was a player then, and I certainly witnessed that too. This is the best team that they've had really since probably 18 and then going all the way back to 11 and then going back to 82. Those are probably the four best most balanced, complete teams that the Brewers have had. Two more for you here. We're with Brian Anderson here on WTMJ. There, was there a moment this season, because it got tight in the beginning of September. It was a game-and-a-half lead on the Cubs, and then the Cubs had a, a struggle series at home against the Diamondbacks. The Brewers started to take off after that Dodgers series. Was there a moment that you realized, yeah, okay, the Central is going to stay in Milwaukee. It still runs through Milwaukee. Was there a game, a swing, a moment that you said, okay, this is the Brewers' division to win. 
Yeah, I, I do think it, it all goes around that date you're talking about, August 18th. So it, it goes around that series for me. Because one game you don't know, but then when, when they go to Arlington and they sweep that series, which was the back end of a, of a tough road trip travel-wise, um, to sweep the White Sox, go to L.A., get swept, hardly score any runs, come to Texas, late night travel, early morning arrival, the whole bit. Like, you know, it could have all gone south there. Um, the fact that they rallied up in that series, you're like, whoa, they, this team might have something. They're, I thought it took Canna and Santana maybe 10 days, a week to 10 days, to kind of settle in, figure out their role. Canna really didn't know if he was an everyday player with the Brewers. He wasn't with the Mets. He was kind of in platooning and left and playing all over. So I think once he realized, oh, I'm, I'm here to play, whether it's left or right or DH or first base, I'm in the lineup pretty much every day. Santana, obviously, at 37 years of age, gets a new lease on life. He ends up in a pennant race. Once those guys settled in, I think they started to look like a completely different team, and their lineup fattened out to a point where um, they weren't so vulnerable against left-handed pitching. And it became a team that you're like, oh, if the offense can just do a little bit, and the magic number's four, as you know so well and you, you, you talk about on your show a lot and with us in the booth, you score four runs with this pitching staff, all of a sudden you become an elite team in this in this tournament. Brian Anderson here and getting ready to do some national perspective baseball in the postseason. I want to give you the chance, give you the floor. <laughs> Disclaimer time. If the Brewers are in the NLCS and we hear your voice again, and if it's Brewers and Braves or Brewers, whoever it may be, if the Brewers are in a series that you're calling, go ahead and lay it out why you're getting excited for the other team's moments. Yeah, I'll be a total homer. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be pulling for the Brewers and all, I'll be using all nicknames. Obviously, you can't do that. So I always tell – I always tell – it happens every year. Baseball fans are crazy, and that's why we love you all. Um, but you won't hear the national games, and that'll be the same with Boog Shambi tomorrow on the ESPN call. It's just – it's not the same as when Rock and I call Brewers games because everything's from the Brewers' lens. National games are different. If that really bugs you, you should then dial into the radio and listen to Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering. That's what I'd recommend. And the same will be for me when I have to do a Brewers game, which I've done Brewers series in the playoffs in 08 and 11. You have to celebrate success. And whoever's having success, it's going to feel like I'm against your team if the one if you're on the opposite side of that. Uh, that's the way it always is, the way it's always been. Ben Scully got ridiculed. Joe Buck got ridiculed. We're not rooting for any particular team. We're rooting for outcomes. We want good games. We want long series. It's better for our network at TBS if we go five games in a DS, seven games in a CS. That's what we're rooting for, and we have to celebrate success. So there might be a scenario where I have to get excited for an Acuna home run against the Brewers in the LCS that is going to upset a lot of people. And I'm sorry about that up front, but I've got a job to do, and you got to stay neutral. I'll be celebrating those successes for whoever has it, and let's hope the Brewers have those successes too because it would be great to be able to say – the Milwaukee Brewers are going to the World Series, which would be my call on our air on TBS. And then maybe I'd have a chance to present the National League trophy to Mark Adonacio and Matt Arnold and Craig Council on a platform, on a stage, and that would be a very cool moment. But until we get to that moment, down the middle. All right, Brian Anderson here on WTMJ. Appreciate you as always, my friend, and a heck of a year, and it's far from over for both of us, and uh, hope you're able to watch from afar, and let's have some fun this October, shall we? I want to see this place packed 
please go buy your tickets. $30, you can get a Terrace Reserve tickets and just sell out the place. Let's, let's have some fun tomorrow. Happy birthday to you, and I'm glad you're by my side for the rest of the playoffs. All right, Brian Anderson here on WTMJ. Back with more Hunt for Brew October after this on WTMJ. Coming along, still going strong, a two-hour show, Hunt for Brew October. It's all brought to you by Network Health. For over 40 years, Network Health has been making health insurance affordable and understandable so you can make the most of your coverage. If you're looking for individual coverage, Medicare Advantage, or even coverage for your employees, you can visit NetworkHealth.com slash playoffs. Again, NetworkHealth.com slash playoffs, and they've got a plan for you. I'm Dominic Catronio. I've got some keys to the game, shall we? Let's start talking about keys to the series and what to look out for in this one. we got another segment after this as well. Number one, I got five keys to follow up here. Number one, control the chaos. That's their slogan. Embrace the chaos for the Diamondbacks. As we mentioned, they steal a lot of backs, and that's what they do. And my number one concern with Corbin Burns tomorrow, in fact, I'm honestly more concerned about this than I am the offense. Corbin Burns with runners on base. Remember in 21 in the Cy Young season, he allowed a ton of stolen bases. And it was routine to steal against him. Now, it's easier to steal today. That's not breaking news. It is a inflated stolen base environment. You know, to, to bring up the numbers here, back in 2021, opponents went 18 for 20 in stolen base attempts against him. He greatly improved on that last season. They only went 5 for 9. But this year, of course, an inflated environment. 11 stolen bases, only 2 caught stealings. That's not entirely his fault. But here's where I get concerned. The pitch clock era, the speed of the game, how much the Diamondbacks love to run. Corbin, his splits this year with runners on base. Now, this is true for most pitchers, but his splits this year with runners on base have crept up. They're not great. Opponents hitting 247 off of him with runners on base. A 730 OPS, which is the highest it's been for him in his career as a starter. Furthermore, we've talked about the home run ball being a problem for him all season long. Of the home runs he's allowed, a total of 22 this year. Half of them have come with men on. Think about how many two-run, three-run homers we've seen this season off of Corbin Burns this year. I wonder about his pace, and I wonder about his execution when he's concerned about the running game with the guys trying to run all over him. Because if there's a flaw about William Contreras' game this season, and he has been phenomenal, and I'm I'm splitting hairs here and splitting hairs that I don't have. But the truth is, and it's not entirely his fault, he, he doesn't throw out a lot of runners. Uh, now, league average caught stealing rate is 19%, so... That's first and foremost. That's dropped by five points just year over year from 2022 to 2023. He's two points below league average at 17%. He's allowed 77 stolen bases. He's only caught 16. So that's personally a concern for mine. So control the chaos. If you got to let Corbin, if you're going to let Corbin Carroll run, let him run. If you can control it against everybody else, that's where I think the key. Number one is going to be control the chaos of the Diamondbacks. Key number two, pretty simple. Pitch, pitch, pitch. Brandon Woodruff is out. Who's going to step up? The bullpen is still elite. 
We haven't even spoken about the fact that reinforcements have arrived. Elvis Piguero will be activated off the injured list. Yoel Piams will be good to go. He had been kind of, you know, given a breather here for the final month of September. And Craig Council was very open about this, about following the script in these last two weeks or so of trying to keep guys fresh and make sure that they didn't just destroy an arm heading into the postseason. Pitch, pitch, pitch. Think about it. The two guys that throw the hardest might be the first guys out of the bullpen, Abner Uribe and Trevor McGill. Then you can go to your Pigueros and your Milners and your Piomps and your Williams. That is a threat. And oh, by the way, if you need some extended relief, Bryce Wilson's had a solid year. Colin Ray, I imagine, will be on this roster now. I don't think Adrian Hauser is going to be on this roster only because he pitched yesterday and they would save him to be available for the DS. But maybe he is, and they surprise me. We know Wade Miley will certainly be on this roster because he could be starting Game 2 if the Brewers win Game 1. So in my opinion, the pitching is so important to keep the chaos down and see what the Brewers can do with the lead and get out in front. Point number three, defense. Second best defense in all of baseball by defensive run saved. That is the Milwaukee Brewers. And even with the lineup that we mentioned with Kurt Hogue earlier in the show, here's my projected lineup of what I would roll out if I were the Brewers, if I was correct counsel. Yelich in left, Freelich in center, Taylor in right, the infield. Donaldson at third, Adamas at short, Terang at second, Santana at first, Contreras behind the plate. Eight of those nine guys, or I should say seven of those eight guys, plus defenders. And the one guy that isn't is a league average defender, Christian Yelich. That's fine. There are no holes in this defense. If you can keep that up, that'll be another key of controlling the chaos whenever a base runner is aboard. If you can quickly get that double play, if you can quickly roll out of it or can make great relays and some of the sends we saw over the weekend might have helped the Brewers uh, when Willie Harris was sending seemingly everybody around third base for the Cubs, it's always good to execute a, a perfect relay at this time of the season. Make sure you can still do it, and they did it twice. I think that's huge. So defense is my third point. My fourth point is four runs, and here's why. The Brewers, we've said it over and over on the postgame shows if you've listened all year long. The Brewers have the best record in baseball when they score just four runs. That's all they're asking for. 76 and 17. That's an 817 winning percentage when they score four runs. Now the Orioles are right behind them, one percentage point back at 816 when they score at least four runs. Then it's the Astros at 796. Nobody else is above an 800 winning percentage when scoring at least four runs. And as I'm doing some live research right now, because this just popped up in my head of seeing what the record was last year when teams scored at least four runs in the postseason. So pulling it up on StatHead, which is the uh, best website on the planet. So let me refresh that during the break. I'll bring you that number after our last break of the show. But that's my fourth key. Four runs scored. Just all you're asking for is four runs. Can you get the job done with this pitching staff? And finally, point number five, the manager advantage, Craig Council. This, in my opinion, should be the year he wins manager of the year. It's between him and Skip Schumacher, if you ask me. It should be Craig Council, especially now he's got lost Woodruff again. He's had a next man up. And, and something, I played the audio earlier of 
Christian Yelich reacting to the Brandon Woodruff news. He said a word. Stay connected. That was the theme ever since spring training. And I pointed it out after the clinch. When the coach has executed and implemented his own you know, slogan for the team, connected. It's on every single locker in the clubhouse. It has your name, your number, connected. Milwaukee Brewers. They have continued that rallying cry throughout the entire season. Be connected. That has been their motto. Craig Council is a great manager. Great. We know about the contract status, a free agent to be. He has reiterated that he doesn't want to think about it until after the season. He's got two rings as a player. He's reached the mountaintop. And he says he still loves those 15, 20 minutes before the game when the anticipation is building and your heart is fluttering and you're getting excited. That's what he loves about postseason baseball. And here he is back in it for the team he grew up loving and watching. His dad worked for. We all know the story. Don't forget the Craig Council factor in the postseason. And as I mentioned earlier, he gets a designated hitter and doesn't have to worry about the pitcher batting ninth anymore. So certainly useful for him. Those are my five keys. Control the chaos. Pitch, pitch, pitch. Keep up the defense. Get four runs. And Craig Council. That's what I see for the Brewers to win. Let's get our last segment. Look at the rest of the series. Get ready to say goodnight. It's a long show. Thanks for hanging with us here. A couple last couple texts to get in here as well. If you don't need to read here, 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. Stay with us on WTMJ. All right, final 10 minutes of the show. This is where we're going to make a fool of myself here. Tommy Wirtz has been hanging with us, our producer here on WTMJ. Appreciate him hanging with us. Matt Sossler, uh, one of our producers as well, was out at Media Day for the Brewers, uh, getting a lot of audio for us to be using across our network. Wisconsin's Afternoon News is going to be live at American Family Field throughout this postseason race. So say hello to Mercure and Matzik and everybody over there uh, as well. I'll be on Brewers 360 first thing tomorrow morning. Uh, that'll be at 745 here on Wisconsin's Morning News. Uh, and then finally, the uh, I'll be on Steve's Scafidi Show on Wednesday reacting to Game 1. So let's uh, talk a little bit about the other series here briefly. This is where I said I'm, I I'm going to make a fool of myself, and I'm going to do it anyway. Let me start with the Rays and the Rangers. The Rangers into the wild card because they lost the finale. The Astros get the bye. Game one will be Jordan Montgomery, who's pitched well for them, against Tyler Glass now against the Rays. This game is in Tampa. Tampa's had an interesting year, uh, you know, with everything with Wander Franco, of course, but a lot of injuries, as usual, with the Rays. That's kind of their operation. But remember, they had one of the best starts in baseball history. They started off 13-0, challenging team streak. Uh, at one point this season, they were 29-7. and They started the year 29-7, and meaning in their first 36 games, that's a ridiculous like 850 winning percentage. But then for the rest of the year, they kind of fell back down to earth. Now they're in a very hard decision. I'm not discounting them at all. But 29-7, and but then for the rest of the way, they went 70, which is good. And 56. Still really good. 
but a much more regular wild card type playoff team. They were one win away from 100 wins. And they're in the wild card facing the Rangers. I'm worried about the Rangers' bullpen. I'm worried about the Rays pitching, period, but they're still pretty darn good. The bullpen's gotten better lately. Give me the Rays in that one. I, I We act shocked every year when they moved on. We shouldn't be. Give me the Rays in, in that series. Next up, other side of the American League, Twins and Blue Jays. Great story on fan graphs about how the Twins have suddenly went from one of the worst strikeout teams in baseball to the best, literally number one in strikeout rate in baseball this year. Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, a big part of that. They are both top 10 pitchers in F-War. Uh, Joe Ryan's been good. Bailey Ober's been good. Kenta Maeda coming back from injury has been good. Is their offense good enough for the victory? I'm a big believer in pitching a defense, and they've got the, the burden of the 18 straight losses. The Blue Jays, bad taste in their mouth from last year, blowing a big lead to the Mariners. Mariners stuck it to them there last year. You never know. For me, I'm going to stick with the pitching. I'm going to stick with my gut and go with the Twins in that one. Now, this is where I get spicy. National League. I got to pick one upset, right? I got to pick somewhere. Phillies and Marlins. Phillies are a really good team. Brewers won the season series against them. If I talk all this about pitching and defense for the Brewers, I have to bring it up for the Phillies. The defense is not good. It's scary bad. Brewers won a game because of it. Alec Bohm at third. Their pitching is good. Nola and Wheeler. Bullpen is solid. Kimbrell still is a little shaky from time to time. Alvarado hasn't quite been the same since coming off the IL, but they still have a very talented team. I don't think anybody is talking enough about the Marlins. You know... Privately, I was not wanting to face the Marlins in the wildcard series. Not just because of all the lefties. Tanner Scott's disgusting. Left side, 98 with sink and a devastating slider. I mean, that's that's tough to hit. Lazardo's been great in the second half. They've been figuring things out. They're creative with their pitching. Edward Cabrera put it all together against the Brewers. Can he do it again? Braxton Garrett's a very good left-handed starter option for a game three. Obviously, they would be better with Sandy Alcantara and Yuri Perez, but that's not happening. And I, that lineup, man, I, I'm still... I know they won this series and the Brewers had some oddities, but, I mean, they stared the big three in the face, and aside from the 12-run inning, they outplayed the Brewers. They played very well that series down in Miami. Jorge Soler, great. Luis Arise has been off his feet for a couple of days. He'll be in the order. Now, he rolled his ankle against the Brewers. Jake Berger, I thought, was an excellent pickup for them. I'm, that's going to be my upset pick. I'm going to pick the Marlins in three over the Phillies. It's it. It would be a you know we can sit here and go freezing cold takes here. I'm totally fine with that. I get it, but I just kind of wanted to go out on a limb, be bold here. If I had to pick one upset, it would be the Marlins over the Phillies. By the way, the Marlins won the season series against the Phillies this year. Keep that in mind. And then finally, of course, for this series, I think Kurt Hoke said it best. He was thinking it was going to be a sweep. But with this Woodruff news, it's going to be a tightly contested three-game series, in my opinion. And I think the Brewers will and should prevail against the Diamondbacks in a three-game series. And it's going to be more of the same of what we've seen all season long. Tight, low-scoring affairs. Because that's what the playoffs are. Tight, low-scoring affairs. By the way, I've got that number. Four runs in a playoffs last season. What was the record of teams that scored at least four runs? 31-8. and eight. You get my point? You get my drift? Four runs. That's all the Brewers are generally asking for. And they get the job done. 
Couple last couple texts to roll in here. This one from the 262. I think it will be important for Burns to limit the walks with the threat of those stolen bases from the speeding Diamondbacks. I agree entirely. He has lost his command from time to time. He's got a lot of multi-walk innings uh, this season, which has not been his M.O. Remember, in 2021, he started that season with virtually no walks. Then another tweet uh, Another tweet came in from one of our producers, Evan Wittalison. Memories of 2011 and when he arrived to uh, a family uh, engagement and they were listening on the radio and going nuts when... Niger Morgan hit the walk-off single. It's going to be fun. I mean, it's playoff baseball, and I'm honored to hang out and react with you guys after every game this wild card series. Again, 6 o'clock first pitch times uh, for all uh, of the first two games. It's technically TBD for Thursday, but I imagine they would keep that at the same time given uh, it would probably be one of the only game threes, if necessary, on Thursday. So network coverage will begin at 5.30 tomorrow here on WTMJ. Then once that network coverage ends, I've got you after the game for Brews Extra Innings. Both 5.30 network pregame coverage starts Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday is technically TBD, but then we'll have another uh, with, uh, another uh, reaction, another Brewers Extra Innings on Thursday. And then the NLDS would begin on Saturday out in Los Angeles, taking on the Dodgers. Big move today with the Brandon Woodruff. We will find out the roster tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. And we all react to who will be on it and overreact, I'm sure. I can't wait. Playoff baseball is special. This is my first time actually covering playoff baseball. I have worked playoff baseball. I've been behind the scenes. I have uh, done some other stuff. But this is my first time I actually can put my voice to it. I'm honored. I'm thrilled. I'm excited to be part of the coverage here in October. And quite frankly, there is no other way I want to spend my 29th birthday than talking baseball with you, Brewers fans, all year long. So if you've made it all two hours, much appreciated. You can follow me on Twitter at Dom underscore Catronio, D-O-M underscore C-O-T-R-O-N-E-O. You can find me out at the ballpark. If you see my bald head, say hello. Would love to chat. I hope you have some fun. Hope we all learn something. Hope we enjoy some Brew October here on WTMJ. My thanks to Tommy Wirtz for hanging with us here all day long. My thanks to all the brewers who gave us their time today at American Family Field. I'm Dom Catronio. Until next time, keep on swinging.